The following was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic through Zoom meetings in accordance with local health guidelines. I'm Mike Maloney and welcome to the CSRM Tuesday Talk, a monthly roundtable discussion covering a range of relevant topics in ministry and current events. Let's join Dr. Greg Linville, Dan Stoffer, and Greg English as we hear from international experts in the fields of sports, recreation, and fitness ministry. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get us going here, and uh, officially start us and welcome everybody. And we're gonna introduce our our co-conversationalist because this is designed as a grassroots conversation amongst some folks that have some history and wisdom and things to share. And so I'm gonna start and welcome first of all Roger Oswald. And I love the line that I got from Jim Riley decades ago, he said, everybody has stolen something from Roger Oswald and claimed it as their own. And that, and that if there's a, the, the headwaters of any river, uh, Roger certainly is at least one of, if not the headwaters of the this local church sports ministry movement. And he founded Church Sports International and literally spent uh, most of his ministry career leading those ministries around the world and helping churches get their, their sports rec and fitness going. So, Roger, welcome and uh, bring us up to date. Where are you at? What are you doing these days? Uh, I am in Sacramento, California, trying to escape the madness of the uh, urban settings of our state, uh, learning how to practice loving my enemy as uh, I daily read of what our governor wants for our state. But uh, as far as sports ministry is concerned, uh, some of you know, um, Church Sports International initiated a, a strategy called Global Network Partners. And as we aligned ourselves with people, we didn't see going there and then leaving them alone uh, was a good strategy for ministry. And so we we created a, a closer relationship with them. I advocated for them in the United States, trying to get support from churches for them because most of them were in developing nations and had no resources of their own. And uh, then we periodically would bring them to the United States and for a week at a time for training. And because we did that, I've learned something. In the United States, we have the word retired. In developing nations, there is no such word in their vocabulary. They work until they die. And they think you do too. And so uh, it's a pleasure to have been able to continue, even though Church Sports International stopped in 2013, uh, we've continued to work with those GNP. And um, 
my work with William Jessup University pretty much came to an end because of the, the travel. It was really too difficult to try and maintain coursework and travel at the same time. But um, they have expressed interest in re-engaging and trying to get something started there. And uh, Eddie Waxer called and asked if I would participate with a couple of other people to create a book primarily for internationals. There, there, that's rather than a whole chapter, you had uh, 300 words to teach some principle of sports ministry. And so I've just been able to stay engaged in sports ministry in different ways, even though I'm uh, basically semi-retired. <laughs> just tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we really appreciate it. And CSI lives on and CSRM and many of our other individualized and so we can't thank you enough. Uh, Roger's been a mentor and a, a discipler of many of us that are on this call today. Debbie Brown is with us today as well and, and Debbie has been at her church in Houston, has weathered the freeze and the flood and all the things that has gone on there, but she is, and, and Debbie, you can give the official title. I think it's the associate director, but uh, she's also been on the CSRM board. And I should say that Roger was one of the founding members of the CSRM board. And, and Debbie is currently an, a, an associate staff member with uh, CSRM, uh, our expert guru with all the fitness ministries. And I should also say that Roger is a staff emeritus for CSRM. So we're blessed to have these kind of folks. So Debbie, what are you up to lately? And, and did I get it all right about what you're doing there? You, you got it right. Every bit of it. <laughs> you're awesome. My name is Debbie Brown. Um, I'm with Houston's First Baptist Church. Um, and I, I mean, to be honest with you, it's like I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had no idea what God was calling me to do in my life. Um, no direction, no foundation. And then I came to First Baptist and I got saved and I started working out. And then all of a sudden I just found um, my calling. And so it was like I, I realized that this is what God created me to do um, was to um, lead fitness. And I had no idea how to do ministry. Um, like most of us here, it's like, you know, you just get thrown in the deep end and the Holy Spirit takes over and then you just, you know, put one foot in front of the other and move forward. And, and for me, it was a great joy when I got connected with CSRM, Dave Bundrick, who was the previous director, um, was one of the board members for them. And, and, um, so got to go to the conferences and then just got to meet other people that were in ministry sports and, and fitness and recreation and it just realized how important our partnerships are and how we can help each other that we don't have to recreate the wheel um, per se but we can just really help each other and um, so I love that we get to have these relationships together and encourage one another because ministry is hard um, and we want to go the distance and we want to hear well done good and faithful servant so I think you know that's why you know, this is so important for all of us to be able to share and to encourage one another. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. And, and Debbie, you, you and I had a connection because of a gal here locally. Mm -hmm. And 
how how were you and Cindy connected, and how did you guys get this fitness and all that you do? Give us a little bit of that history. Yeah, that's super funny, actually. It's um, it's like when you you know you can look back in your life and you can see how God had a plan, um, and how He was working and weaving it together. So basically, my husband and Cindy Brimcamp's husband were partners. And uh, in construction business. And uh, so when I met my husband and then I got to meet Mike and Cindy and then, of course, fell in love with Cindy. She was a super great friend. And then they decided, I think maybe about oh, three years into um, our friendship, that they would move back to Canton, Ohio. So my husband was from Canton, Ohio. I was from West Virginia, but we actually met in Houston. So anyway, so they went back to Ohio and we just remained friends. And so when I go back for a visit to visit my um, family in West Virginia, I typically would go, you know, fly into Canton, which you can't do that anymore. So, But Cleveland or Columbus, but it gets me in the area. And then I, Cindy and I have been friends ever since. And so she's led fitness ministry up there at First Friends Church. And in um, and 1987, we actually decided that we wanted to move back to Ohio to just kind of get closer to family. We kind of felt like that distance was one of the reasons why maybe our family wasn't close. And so since my husband was in construction, we just said, you know, let's just go. So we did. And I taught some fitness classes at First Friends and then um, jumped over to Duber United Methodist Church for a little while. And we were up there for about a year and a half. And then we just felt like God was calling us back to Houston. And um, I just heard the Lord say that you know, he was calling me to lead a fitness ministry. I heard it in Ohio. At that time, I was just a fitness instructor. And then when God brought us back to Houston, that's when um, the position opened up here at First Baptist Church and stepped into that. But Cindy and I are great friends, um, and I love her so much. She's she's a doll. She's an awesome Christian, um, very strong believer. And um, so anyway, so yeah, I had no idea that, that she was so connected with all of y'all up there. So, And she really was one of the pioneers in, in what you do every day and really has helped a lot of churches for the years. Thanks, Debbie, for being with us today. And Weston Bryan comes to us having spent many years as a local church sports and rec minister and out of the Indianapolis area. And he has continued to, I think, pioneer some things for us in the whole discipleship and ministry coaching, life coaching kinds of things. And you can correct me on any of this, Weston, but uh, it, it's been fun to see how, you, how the Lord has used you in many, many ways through the years. But bring us up to date. What are you doing now? And welcome. Yeah. Thank you for the very kind introduction, Greg. Uh, yeah, I was in sports ministry for 13 years. And really, in a nutshell, I, I learned that one thing I was really good at was finding guys in the church who were just going through the motions, going to church on Sunday. Maybe they were attending a small group, but usually not. And really developing them into leaders. And I think uh, just all praise and glory to God, some of the things I'm most proud of is um, of the, the six guys that served on my leadership team over those nine years. They weren't all on the team at the same time. But of those six, um, 
one we hired on as part-time staff, one went on to serve at a local sports ministry, uh, you know, leading as a sports director there. And another uh, became an elder. And he's actually now, I think, just more globally minded. Like he's starting a prayer movement in our community. And uh, it's just been, it's been awesome to be a part of that journey with them. And so the Lord just, man, he just opened doors and in 2019 allowed me to start an organization called Commission Leadership, where I basically, I take those principles that I learned leading that team and leading our directors and coaches and, and helping churches do the same. So uh, what I like to say is, um, you know, I equip uh, kingdom leaders uh, to unleash kingdom workers uh, to powerfully impact their community. And you, I'm not sure if it's your first, but you authored a book recently. I did. Tell us yep. about that. So this was a blessing of the pandemic. I found I was home with a lot more <laughs> free time on my hands. And so um, I, I work with a coach and I asked, you know, what do you do in the winter? Because it just feels like winter right now, this season of life. He said, do everything you can to prepare for spring. And I thought, man, I, I want to have a resource available that can really serve people well. And so I wrote a book called Learn From Me. The subtitle is How Regular People Can Make Disciples Like Jesus Did. And it, it basically tells a story of here's, here's what I did in sports ministry. Here were some, some principles I learned just about how to make disciples in our everyday conversations and interactions with people. Well, on the chat room, thank you for that, Weston. And in the chat room, you'll find some connections that are being put up there. And obviously, Roger has written a lot. And those resources are still being made available through the CSRM website. And we can connect you with any of the uh, resources that Debbie has in Houston or that Weston has, including this book. Uh, we really appreciate each of you taking the time to to put those resources together because it, it has a life way beyond uh, who we are and what we do today. Your impact, all of you, will be felt across the globe and it's, you're making eternal differences, so we appreciate it. I, I'd also mention that uh, two of the recent books that came out through the CSRM Overwhelming Victory Press had to do with discipleship. One is called That Rugged Discipleship by Steve Connor. And it's a page turner, and it will give you insights in discipling that's very positive. And also, Brian Mason, another CSRM staff emeritus, talking about maintaining pace and whatever age you are at, whatever stage or season of life you're in, how to maintain pace with your with your Lord and Savior. And so we have those resources that we'd love to have you just check out. And these would all be. Uh, very positive for like the coaches or the leaders in your sports ministries, uh, another little boost for their own spiritual development. Okay, enough of a commercial, but let's, let's jump into this topic today. And within CSRM, we talk about evangelistic disciple making. So obviously you've got to go. We're called to go to the world, reaching those far from Jesus, far from the church, and hopefully there comes a day, that's what we pray for and work for, that they're going to raise their hand and say, I want this Jesus. I want Jesus to come into my life. 
one of the things that we really encourage people to consider is that that you're not done. The job is not done. But to make disciples now is a continuation. We praise God that they're now a follower of Jesus, but how can we disciple them? And one of the things that I think a lot of us, and, and Roger, you may speak this as much as anybody, uh, that the churches use these leagues and fitness programs and bicycle clubs and other recreation things to try to get people to Jesus. But I think sometimes we overlook what, what we can do to actually then use those same things, those same methodologies to reach people for Jesus. But before we jump into that, Roger, I'm going to start with you and then others. Tell us, tell us who, who it was that was your disciple. What did you learn from somebody? Who was it that impacted your life as a disciple? How did that come about? Start us out, Roger. Um, I came to Christ later in life. I was 37 before I became a follower. And my journey to faith, uh, a major part of it was an invitation to a coach's Bible study breakfast. And at that Bible study breakfast, I encountered men who, who loved the Lord and who loved his word and loved one another. And those were all fairly revolutionary concepts for me at that time in my life but their lives were attractive enough that I continued to go back. And <laughs> some of the men in that Bible study, you might remember their names, Bud Schaefer, Robin Cook. Um, there was a, a representative of FCA, the local FCA director. And um, the rest of them, the majority of them went to Los Gatos Christian church, which at that time was a, a large evangelical church. Uh, that had a pastor who had a passion to see sports ministry at some point in his tenure as a pastor. And kind of jumping forward, having made a profession of faith, my first short-term sports ministry experience was coaching a basketball team in South America. And uh, there made a commitment to follow the Lord wherever it led. And if it led away from what I was doing then, which was teaching high school, uh, my heart was prepared to do that. And when I returned and shared about my time in South America, that pastor happened to be in the audience when I spoke at a banquet. And that led to being called by Los Gatos Christian Church uh, as a sports minister. That was in 1980. And nobody knew what a sports minister was then. In fact, my business cards, people would look at strangely. And um, But the combination of the men from that Bible study and the other pastors on that church, because I was in deep water now. I was in a mega church, uh, 7,000 people trying to build a ministry. And the blessing of that church was that they had a number of very godly associate pastors who built into my life. And um, so the initial discipleship wasn't through sports ministry, uh, but it was through a coach's Bible study breakfast. And then the other pastors who uh, really helped me, the pastors helped me more theologically, 
where the coach's Bible study was more practical. Debbie and Winston, who, who discipled you? How did that come about? Well, um, just like with Roger, it didn't start out in your typical way with fitness as far as, you know, someone helping um, disciple me. But it all started really when I got saved and we had a life Bible study class at that time where Beth Moore was leading that class. It was an all ladies class. Um, I had lost my mom to a suicide um, five years previously. And so I was really emotionally bankrupt. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't even know what I was looking for, to be honest with you. But I had a next door neighbor who was a member of First Baptist Church and our kids played together. And so she invited to bring my daughter to church. And I said, well, why don't I come too? So I came on a Sunday night, Louis Giglio was preaching and I got saved that night. I didn't even get up out of the pew. And then all of a sudden, you know, life changed and it just began um, this awakening in me and this healing in me that just began the journey. And so um, my friend invited me to go to Sunday school and Beth Moore was the teacher of that Sunday school. And those women in there were like mom figures to me. They were like sisters. I didn't have a sister, just had two uh, younger brothers. And so as they began loving on me and I started growing in the word. Um, and at that time, Beth Moore was leading the fitness classes here uh, in the fitness center. And so since I was a stay at home mom, I didn't have anything to do. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll just go work out. And then I started discovering my love for, for fitness and for working out and um, started sensing God calling me um, to lead in fitness ministry. But I was just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't, didn't know anything about it. Um, I had lots of insecurity issues, um, lots of doubts and fear and all of that. And then the next person that kind of came alongside me to disciple me was a lady by the name of Diane Bagby. And so basically when, when God called Beth Moore to step away from the ministry that she was supposed to go home and start writing her Bible studies and begin her ministry, Diane Bagby took over. So I love that I got to see both of them because Beth was kind of like a magnet. She was just like this larger than life, vibrant, um, on fire believer that made, um, um, Jesus attractive because I had um, been drugged to church a few times when I was growing up. My grandmother on my dad's side um, took us to church and it was a, it seemed to me like a dead church. It was for old people that were ready to die. I didn't want anything to do with it. And so to me, there was no draw there. So then when I saw Beth and I, I was just like, wow, I don't know what she has, but I want some of it. And so then when Diane took over, Diane was kind of like the brains behind fitness ministry, just even the body. So she was like the, and she was such a great, um, she, she just imparted all of the information about the body and how to teach classes and all that. So I saw this one side over here, who was like this magnet to bring people in, make it fun. You know, the music was worship and praise and all of that. It made you want to show up. And then the other part of it was learning how to actually do it and to do it effectively and safely, of course. So that's really how it all began for me. It was just attending church. And, and then, you know, it, it kind of trickled down when Pastor um, Greg came on board. He was big into leadership and really equipping his um, leaders to be leaders in the church. So that's kind of where it all started for me. Yeah, for me, um, it was it was mainly a guy named Jason Propst who was a leader 
in the CSRM uh, culture for, for many years, served, I think, close to 20 years in sports ministry. And I think the two practical things he did was, um, well, no, three. First, he just, he believed in me, um, like I think Jesus believes in me. Um, and so it just gave a, a physical, tangible reality of, of how God views me. But he, he released me to do ministry before I was ready. Um, I never would have led a devotion. I never would have prayed with a group unless he said, you're going to do it, <laughs> you know, but I just remember every now and then he would, he would, you know, come grab me from my little cubicle and say, we're just going to take some time to pray. And, you know, that was just, it wasn't a job for him. Like he was helping me grow in my walk with Christ and giving me opportunities to connect with Jesus and to really lean into faith um, otherwise, I would have uh, gotten a huge ego out the gate. Look at all the great things I'm doing. Um, but he, he's just a humble leader, and uh, it made me want to to be one, too. Well, let me welcome in our co-host here, Greg English. And uh, Greg, why don't you share a little bit about who discipled you and then take it from here? I have to come back to uh, a guy by the name of Bob Thones. Uh, he uh, spent a lot of time with me um, as a high school student. And I think like I'm reminded of Weston when he talked about our friend Jason. Uh, he just loved you where you're at. He knew he loved you. And uh, he was just a great picture of, of God's love you yeah. know, in real flesh. And uh he taught me what it was like to be a real human with flaws, but also strive for a great love affair with God himself. And so that was, that was key in that area. In terms of sports ministry, uh, there's probably, uh, you know, uh, five of you on this call right now that have impacted me uh, through varying, uh, various degrees. And of course, a lot of years uh, within CSRM. Uh, so mul multiple people have stepped in along the way at different seasons and in different spaces. Uh, to create that. And I think that's what's unique as you weave the stories of, of people and you hear the different names, you know, uh, of people that have played key roles in key uh, areas of our lives. So I was thinking about, though, as, as you guys were answering the questions and um, the years that you've been in ministry and different things, uh, we've gone from a program-driven culture uh, experience event orientation uh, to where our culture has changed. And it reminded me of my time of living overseas. Uh, and one phrase that hit me when I uh, arrived in a, a third world country uh, that was not familiar with the gospel, that the program mentality wouldn't, wouldn't work. And people didn't have um, key people teaching into their lives. And so there's this mindset that hit me like, you know, there's, there's a pre-discipleship process, right? You're, you're pre, you're, you're thinking ahead in a pre-discipling mode. So, I just thought I'd ask each of you kind of as you've seen culture adjust and change, or you've seen ministry change from program event driven to uh, life application or not uh, gospel, not acceptable or desirable. Is there a way that you're thinking in a pre-discipleship process as you develop a sports and recreation ministry? Or do I need to redefine 
the pre-discipleship process first, meeting people where they are in their, their moment. So Roger, how about for you? Well, when I started at Los Gatos, um, I was a new Christian and therefore I was trying to discover my own faith. Uh, and then I was trying to replicate that in the lives of people that I, I ministered to. We initially uh, started with programs, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we, were, we had youth baseball, basketball, and soccer. And what happened was we began to see families being drawn to the church because of the program. But it didn't take long for me to see that there was a revolving door, that people came, but then they left as well. And it forced me, with some of the leadership I had at the time, to sit down and say, what is it we're called to do in a sports ministry? And we, we, we basically began by saying, we have to have a philosophy of ministry that's consistent with the Bible. What is it the Bible has called us to do? It's Imagine not to make that. converts, it's to make disciples. Imagine and once, that, once we understood that, um, we said, well, where does the sports ministry fit into what God's called us to do? And we began by saying, well, wait a minute, you can't disciple somebody that hasn't been evangelized. So I know I'm separating the terms when they really are one term. But we knew we had to create a platform to be able to reach out to people. And having reached out to them, those who respond, they needed to be, they needed to learn how to become a follower of Christ. We couldn't assume that they even understood how to pray, uh, how to read the Bible, how to consistently study the Bible. And so immediately, once we said we knew we wanted to evangelize and disciple, we said, how are we going to make that possible? And it all came back to leadership, Greg. It all came back to leadership. We started a thing called Shepherd Coach Training. And because as the sports minister, and any of you have done this, have been in sports ministry, know you don't have enough time to do everything. And pretty soon you let slip the most important things, which is how do we help somebody become a genuine follower of Christ? And so since I knew I couldn't do that, I knew I had... 40 coaches. Great. I'm going to disciple 40 coaches and let those 40 coaches begin the discipleship process with their, uh, with their teams. And so the whole thing was building into the believers. We started an aerobics program with women who understood the concept that we were not aerobicizing just for the sake of fitness. We were aerobicizing because we wanted to give women an opportunity to encounter Christ and having encountered Christ to grow in Christ. And so once again, it was sitting down with those aerobics leaders and saying, you tell me within the scope of your program, how are you going to introduce people to Christ? What is the strategy you're going to use? And then having been successful, how are you then going to disciple? What materials are you going to use? Um, uh, how do you access beyond the activity itself? Because you all know that discipleship doesn't take place in that one minute or that one hour of uh, involvement. It goes beyond that. So it was an evolution of things that began from ignorance, uh, but then to a firm commitment that God's called us to make disciples. And 
creating a philosophy and a strategy that allowed us to accomplish that. Debbie, how about you in terms of a pre-discipleship process that you're encountering now or you're thinking about in terms of fitness ministry as people come in into your path? Yeah, I, uh, that's good. I think the big thing for me that's changed is that, I mean, we do offer programs and we need to have programs. You know, that's that's for people coming so they'll have a reason to come. But I think the biggest thing is to meet people where they are and love them. Because if they don't know, you know, we've got to build relationships, relationships, relationships. Because if they, if it's just all about, you know, what we call preaching the word, right? Or sharing the word. If it's just a bunch of rules or, you know, people don't even see the Bible as relevant anymore. So it's like, you know, you got to start somewhere with them to be able to draw them in. And I love what Roger said about encounter Christ, because for us in fitness, it's, it's probably a little easier than if you were on the soccer field or on the basketball court, because we can use music as a tool. So it's like creating that environment. Um, where they can experience something different. So it's like a lot of people will say that about our ministry or even our facility. They don't even know it's a ministry. To them, it's just, they don't even know. I mean, they know we're a church because we have church on the building. But when you walk into the fitness center, to them, it's just a place to work out, you know? So anyway, so they're, they're you know, beginning those relationships and then starting with um, sharing the word and then encouraging them and then going deeper. Um, and I do agree with what Roger said. It's all about your leader. It's all about the coach. It's all about that personal passion that that one person has to be able to share that of why you believe what you believe. Um, but I think you have to do it in such a way these days that it has to be with love. Um, otherwise they just walk back out the door. So but yeah, it's different. It's definitely, definitely different. What used to work, you know, some things still work the same, but it's like, depending on um, the age group, you know, things change too. For me, um, your question. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it did Debbie. Um, you know, for me, it, there was a, there was a shift, um, when I changed jobs, I was, I was at two churches, uh, two different sports ministries. The first was for about three years and I nearly burned out because I didn't know how to develop leaders. And I felt all this pressure to reach more people. And that meant doing more activity. And so I, I really never gave myself a break for, for three years straight. And by God's grace, he, he led me to another church where the, the culture was just a little bit more, um, uh, not even open, but just they had more buy-in for the sports ministry and, and what, what it looked like practically uh, as a part of that church to reach the community. And um, basically the first step for me was, and I tell people this all the time, is we need to understand that as sports pastors, we're doing two jobs. We're doing that of a sports director like you would at a YMCA or a Parks and Rec, and we're doing the job of a pastor. And so when pastors talk about like how tired, it's like, yeah, you're doing two jobs, but one of them is your calling, you know? And so for me, I had to learn how do I say no to things and, and, and basically manage what I'm like, what can I manage as a director? 
And so we're going to do that. And we're going to say no to other things because I must do the work of a pastor. I must shepherd and teach and train people to do the work of ministry that God has prepared for them. So that, that was the big kind of aha for me. Greg, if you don't mind me jumping back in, because I, I, I used the, uh, the term philosophy, but I did not explain it. Uh, some of you who have heard me speak before have heard of the FEDA principle, F-E-D-A. Um, in, in creating uh, an opportunity for people to encounter Christ, that was the F, fellowship. Because you manifested Christ, you loved them where they were, you then had the opportunity to evangelize, at least to present the gospel. Then having presented the gospel, the D is discipleship. But then the last one was A, assimilation. You have not successfully evangelized until you give somebody an opportunity to respond to your message. And you have not successfully discipled until you see that person following Christ to the point he's integrated into the life of the church, helping others come to know Christ by manifesting Christ and sharing Christ. So that's where the philosophy went. And all of that was really, to me, pre. If we ever started a program, it had to fit that philosophy. And if it didn't, then it was merely activity. And like Weston said, that's when you had to have the courage to say, we're not doing that. That's just activity. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I love the different perspectives God gives us because I'm seeing how um, for, for Debbie and Roger, like you guys want very practical, like here, here, here is the activity, the spiritual activity of connecting with people and praying with people and sharing the gospel and helping them feel welcome. And, and for me, it was realizing like, yeah, I, I have to do those things. And if I don't say no <laughs> to certain things, that won't happen. Yeah. yeah. I need to jump back in if that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that just brings to my mind. Um, I just hear the words be ready. So um, for an example, um, we had someone in our production department who gave me a call one day and she's like, hey, I have a friend and she's a yoga teacher and she's a really good yoga teacher. So I would love to just send her your way if you would be interested, if you, you know, if you need somebody. And uh, so I'm like, absolutely send her down. And so she, um, she came for an interview, was applying to, um, for a position as an instructor. And then it was just the craziest thing because it's like we, um, our standard for hiring someone is someone has to be a believer because we believe that they can't minister in Jesus name if they don't have the Holy Spirit, if they don't have a passion to share Christ, which is, you know, part of who we are all about is that we can't, you know, just do that. So anyway, um, Amy came to us and so she came in delightful, absolutely sweet, um, I, I could tell that she was very fit and that she would be a great instructor. And so just kind of went through the interview process. And then I get down to the point where it's like asking her about her belief system. And of course, when you're interviewing somebody for fitness, you know, at first you're talking about fitness, you know, and they love talking about fitness because they love fitness. But then when it comes to ministry, you know, that's completely different. 
So by the end of the, the, toward the end of the interview, she, I could tell she was, had not made a decision for Christ. I mean, literally I'm presenting the gospel um, to Amy and um, I'm realizing that she's not ready. She's not a believer. Therefore I'm not going to be able to hire her. And then down on the floor, one of our Wednesday night programs was um, a Bible study book that we were going to do and have a fitness class together. So the name of the book was 12 Extraordinary Women by John MacArthur. So it was laying in my floor and she looked down and she says, oh my gosh, I just ordered that book. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm shocked because of what she had just shared with me. And I'm like, wow, well, we're getting ready to a group of us ladies are getting together on Wednesday nights and we're going to talk about the book. We're going to work out together. Hey, if you'd like to join us, please come. So she did. And so the group at that time was maybe five, to five, six, eight women that were together. All of those were strong believers. And um, literally, they just like loved on Amy, pulled her in. Everybody literally is sharing their testimony of how they came to Christ. One week later, she calls me and says, I don't know what's going on in my heart, she says, but the bottom line is that I have to talk to you. And she's like, I have to talk to you today. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be, you know, teaching a Pilates class. I'll be done at, you know, 7, 715. If you want to meet me after that, um, come on. And uh, so she did. Friend of mine, uh, we met together and we led her to Christ that night. And then she became one of our instructors later. And so and then she's following the Lord now. She's since moved to Colorado and um, still walking with the Lord. And it was like, wow, how can this happen? So, you know, as a a leader, I think we're just always looking for where is God working? Who is he sending? And, you know, what, what does he want in that moment? So, I mean, I could have just dropped it at, okay, she's not ready. I've got to get back to emails, this, and that, whatever. But I think, you know, meeting people where they are, presenting the gospel, take it one step further. And then when you have those discipleship opportunities, um, you know, they're there. Awesome. In our, in our, book, The uh, Fundamentals of Sports Outreach, we talk about the five B's. The first B is to belong. And I think that's what all of you have talked about, that the person who is far from Jesus needs to belong to a Christian group, even though they're not yet a believer. They belong. And it's out of that. And you guys just gave some evidences, specific evidences of how that happened, that people belonged. And then it was through that belonging and experiencing the gospel in that way that then they came to believe. And then they moved on into hopefully baptism and a behavior change. And let's that, that's, that's maybe focus then on these next two of the Bs and Speak about your perspective of the importance of baptism and then how do you actually figure out how to communicate to those new believers the behavior change and, and what, is, what does it mean to become this disciple, this follower of Jesus? Now, the, before you start jumping into that, I want to tell everybody that in just a few minutes, we're going to allow anybody to. Uh, We'll even let you, Dave Waddell, to, to have a word or a question. So we've got a group that we can uh, just kind of all offer a question to the, the conversationalists here. So be ready for that in just a minute. But baptism. Now, whether you're 
faith tradition is that you are baptized after a decision for Christ or that you have in your faith tradition a public confirmation of, say, an infant baptism that you had. Both are public, we hope, are in front of the church, in front of the congregation, uh, a public confession of faith, so to speak. And speak to that in terms of when you have someone in your league or your Pilates class and they profess faith in Christ, tell us your experience with helping them to understand now it's time to make a public profession. How do you do that? Any of the, any of the conversationals, jump in with any of that if you'd like to. I have one to share. Um, uh, we had a member, our previous member services manager, her name was Becca, and she came from a secular um, gym called Villa Sport, um, very, uh, one of the most elite uh, country club type um, facilities in Houston. It was in the Woodlands. And so she was um, right out of college, was doing her internship there. And so she was learning about um, fitness management. So she was a strong believer. She was raised in a Christian home and just a beautiful, beautiful example of what it is to walk with Christ. And so she had a client who was a fella, his name was Ali, and Ali was not a believer, um, came from a pretty wealthy family in Houston. They own a furniture store here. And um, he was just always drawn to this light in her. And um, so when she left Villa Sport and came to our ministry, um, here, he decided that there was something about her that he just really missed, and he worked downtown. So from, he lived up by the woodlands, but he traveled downtown to um, to be able to go to work, and so it was on the way. So he's like, you know, I might as well just join the gym, and uh, uh, and he hired Becca as his, as his trainer again. So they were training, and then finally she got, and I don't know how long, I think it was probably two-year period of time that she had been building a relationship with him, obviously an appropriate relationship with him. And um, so anyway, so she finally was able to share the love of Christ, and he accepted Christ. He started coming to church um, here at our church, and then um, he shared with us that he was going to be getting baptized and uh, so, of course, we I think I still have the video recording on my phone because it was like it was the most one of the most rewarding moments of my ministry, our ministry here is not really my ministry, but our ministry um, to be able to see him up on the big screen in front of thousands of people when he came from, you know, a Muslim background and he basically um, was professing Christ. And I mean, it, it literally, he was glowing with the spirit of God. It was the most precious, priceless moment. And so, you know, we don't always get to see that a lot, but boy, when we do get to see it, it is fire to keep going, you know, and, and to just keep at it. So. Greg, if, um, if, if again, we begin with the premise that we have been called to make disciples, then once again, I'm driven to scripture that says, what does that mean? And obviously, you can't escape Christ's command nor the acts of the apostles 
uh, where following belief, following profession of faith, baptism occurred. And so all of our coaches, all of our leaders that we trained, they knew that if someone were to make a profession of faith, they had a responsibility to follow up with that person. And sometimes you met with uh, resistance, one, because their proclamation of faith wasn't genuine. Sometimes you encounter family issues. They come out of Roman Catholicism and they had been sprinkled and I don't want to offend my family. But that's where the tender, careful nurturing of the individual goes, where they understand it's what scripture that needs to drive them. If Christ said to be baptized and he himself was baptized, he gave us the example. Now follow the example. But it's a, it's a process. You can't force people to be baptized. You can talk them into it, but that's the wrong thing to do. The Spirit of God needs to drive them to the point of saying, I need to be obedient to Christ and make a profession of faith publicly. So it's integrated through all of your coaching, your leadership, your mentoring people. You're guiding them toward that step. But uh, nothing can be a greater encouragement to the church in general than to see people come out of your program having made a profession of faith and following in baptism. It's, it's the evidence that your ministry works. And Roger, I, I think you're, you've hit it really well. And I think it's probably the most overlooked, underappreciated thing that happens in sports ministry. I, I do not hear sports ministers talking about we have a day every year, even let alone every month uh, where we act. We, and again, whether you confirm or you baptize the public confession and, and I, you know, everybody knows me knows that I'm not only a, yeah, we've got to get baptized when we come to faith in Christ, but I'm an Anabaptist. I'll, I'll baptize you if you even were an infant. Okay. Now I'll get away from that heresy here in a second. So I definitely am in, in that camp, but where, however you do it, what you just said is it, it, it just takes the whole church to another level because everybody's excited about that. And, and just like in the same way that when my wife walked down that aisle and we in front of hundreds of people profess faith in each other, so to speak, we had a public profession. We are married. And this is what we need for our people. So I, I'm on a soapbox here, and I, I know it. But I just think it's probably the most underappreciated, overlooked part of sports ministry. Weston, Roger, Deb, any of you, straighten me out if I'm wrong. <laughs> now, I want to piggyback on what Roger said, though, about basically I heard you say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And, you know, my soapbox is that I think we spend too much time asking, how do we help people grow? I think the more helpful question is, who's thirsty? Mm, that's good. Because if you find the people who are thirsty, just point them to the living water. Show them how you follow Jesus. And that, that's how Jesus modeled it. And that's, that's what I hear in Roger and, and Debbie's stories here of people who they love Jesus and they just can't help but talk about him. That's evangelism, right? But they don't just 
it's not just a show. Like they're walking the walk and eventually people walk with them. I don't think there's anything more affirming to the sports minister or to the church that he or she serves than when you see we had talking about pre-discipleship. Nobody could coach if they were not a committed, baptized member of the church. Okay. We did allow assistant coaches who might not even be saved or assistant coaches who had a nominal faith. And nothing was more beautiful than to see that assistant coach through time, maybe not the first season, maybe it's the second or the third, place faith in Christ and then see that coach baptizing his son or daughter because they have made professions of faith because the father has now led the family. I, I mean, it's, it floats your boat. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're kind of discussing in this and haven't used is the idea of spiritual formation and how is it that we are being informed spiritually? Who is it that's informing us of that? What's the proclamation of it? What's the demonstration of it? And maybe we've been programmed enough that we've gone, we've become numb to the passion and the desire of sharing it, speaking about it uh, in everyday living circumstances, whether that's uh, at work, on a field, coaching, a call in ministry or whatever. But it's one of the things that I think about lately is it's not just about putting uh, coaches or fitness instructors or leaders out there that have a just a book and you tell them to go by the book, but it's truly helping them understand what spiritual formation is, the development of the importance of the development of your own spiritual formation and how that is to pass, pass that all, you know, pass that uh, along to the next person. So uh, those are some things that I'm just thinking in my mind as you guys are, are talking of, of, about some of those. I do want to, uh, you know, if somebody else has, Another uh, example, an opportunity they want to share just in their own story of discipleship, feel free to do that. I do want to remind us that uh, we've got a couple more minutes that we'll walk through here. Uh, but there are some great resources through CSRM. And uh, Dan has, has put some of those up earlier in the chat box there that uh, you can refer to. Uh, there's some new material about just about the missiology of the church and uh, where does that fall in into what we're doing and how to study that at, at a deeper level. Uh, so as you're going forward and as you're meeting with people and you're e equipping uh, people in this in this process, are there obstacles that that you're facing now and how to uh, lead or develop disciple making people? Yeah. I call it the COVID brain. <laughs> so it's like this whole last year was just really difficult. I think everybody can agree with everyone. Our pastor, a couple weeks ago, we do a um, uh, the first Monday of the month. We all meet the full time staff together and we hear uh, just pray together. And uh, Pastor Greg said, you know, bottom line is the whole world fell apart. <laughs> it's like I'm like the opposite did. So, so many people were, you know, disconnected and isolated and all of that. So right now it's just rebuilding, you know, bringing people back together, loving them where they are and 
and just helping them. But it's one of the um, uh, other staff this week, they're like, things are really ramping up. I'm like, yeah, they really are ramping up fast. So it's like, we're having to snap to it and kind of get back, you know, um, on task. And, and like you said, with the strategies and stuff, we've got to be intentional um, with it for sure, or it's not going to happen. So, but we're getting back. It's a good thing. Well, I like what Weston said earlier. If you think it's winter, you better prepare for spring. And if we have done nothing for a year because of COVID, shame on us. God gave us that time providentially to be creative in how we did ministry. Whether you did virtual uh, activities, whether you used gaming, whether you used outdoor activities, we sure should not have been sedentary for a year. We were actually busier just because we were trying to connect with our people, um, especially our senior population, which we, we have a good number of seniors um, with that. So yeah, it's, it's in that way it, it, for the full-time staff, we were definitely busier. Our part-time staff, our trainers, our instructors, um, that was a little bit harder, but but yeah, I agree with you, Roger, for sure. We got to prepare and keep moving. Todd, David, Matt, anything you want to add to the conversation? Anybody? Uh, I was thinking when everybody's talking, yeah, uh, Roger and, and I go back quite a ways and you and I go back a ways, but I was thinking we stand on the shoulders of giants and guys have gone before us. I was a coach like Roger. I was the FCA. There wasn't sports ministry, really. I mean, athletes in action kind of came along, and I happened to be right in that early period. But those guys who set the, the groundwork for those things, you see years later, like 40 and 50 years later, what God has done with the next generation and the next generation. So we need to be passing on the knowledge that not only we've gained, but now, you know, I listened to Weston. I was thinking, I'm going to buy this guy's book. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't buy everybody's book. I want to, you know, I've got a lot of good friends that have got lots of books. (laughs) So, but it's just, you know, you gain knowledge by being involved. If you're not involved, you don't pick up things and you might pick up one thing, and whether it's in basketball or in life, you pick up one thing, use it a lot, and let God take care of the rest. You know, so it's it's been fun listening to all these. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I was lucky to be in a place where I had a Greg Linville and a Roger Oswald. And you're like, I don't see sports ministry kind of the same way. I mean, I use sports ministry. I didn't make it into a church. I planted two churches and started them. But the basic thing was I built relationship. They got to know me. And I'm in a country where 99% of the people <laughs> don't want to do what I want them to do. And uh, you know what? I even applied when I was coaching. I've been coaching the year in this country. I applied for jobs that I was 10 times more qualified. But I knew I wasn't going to get them because of what I did. And I had to make a decision at the time. Is it my faith 
or what I do. And hopefully my faith is what I do. So it's been, you know, just if we can pass on these things to the the next people and like what Debbie shared with the, you know, the people that come into it, it's God who does it. And he does it. I just read Romans 7. He does it with love, not the law, not keeping the statistics. He does it with love. That's all I got. <laughs> I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, discipleship should be our new accountability standard far too long uh, the church has done at the end of uh, summer camp weeks or at the end of a basketball league. Uh, we've had them raise their hand. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you believe in Jesus? The hands go up. We report the number Sunday morning and everyone just goes, wow. And I was in a staff meeting once where another ministry kept announcing numerous people that had come to know Jesus during one of their uh, sessions. And our worship pastor looked and finally said, where are these people? Um, are, are they being discipled in other churches? Are they being active in other churches? Are, are we reaching them? Why are we having so many people profess Jesus on a Wednesday night, but we're never seeing them or their families at any other time or getting reports that other churches are saying, thank you for for winning this person to Jesus and sending them to us. And so I think in a lot of ways, sports ministry, recreation, fitness ministries are better defined by how many disciples we make. I, I know in a lot of ways what we do, we're one of the best sowing ministries there is. We plant seeds by reaching people that other ministries cannot. Um, where we need to get a little bit more active possibly is the, the harvesting and in how we use the, uh, the fruit um, after the fact, just my two cents. And I David. think, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's, it's, it's just, uh, it goes with what Weston said. It's, it's that tension of the ability to say no, right? Because Weston, you absolutely nailed it. We wear two hats. We direct programs and activities, but we were called into the ministry yep. and we were called to shepherd. And it's very clear in the scripture what we're supposed to be doing, making disciples and equipping the saints. But what gets lost is um, all the effort that should go into that because of the lack of time. And so we do get focused on being a director. And the second thing that you said, Weston, I think being a part of a culture that uh, makes that possible. Uh, David, with what you just said, to, to change that scorecard, so to speak, that it's about making disciples. And so that tension is very real. And I don't know if I have any answers for that, but I just know that tension is real and we got to figure it out. Yeah. The I was having this conversation the other day. The humanity of that tension leads to that total dependence of the Holy Spirit because it's a constant wrestle between uh, Amen. ministry yeah. And, and business that we live in. And I, it's, it's the, for me, that was the, the thing I was thinking about. And actually I passed that on to another staff person and, and my son in that conversation. But I was going back to going to saying the no uh, and goes back to the idea of discipleship is that I think two, we have to consider uh, numbers are great, but I knew, I knew when we hit, you know, eight, nine hundred, a thousand in a league, I knew that the opportunity of our discipleship actually weakened 
versus knowing that when I had the, the 223, which I always deemed to be the perfect number. Don't ask me why. I just said it was. I knew I knew that my multiplication could be stronger and better. And then I could do 223 somewhere else, 223 somewhere else. Uh, so I think some of that, no, Weston talks about some of what David talks about. For me, there was a time in our ministry where I knew I'm just going to, I got to cut the numbers. If I wanted, if, if I want to uh, disciple effectively, uh, then I knew if I had 600 uh, or if I had 150, 600 didn't prove I was better at doing that discipleship, right? And so I think it is that deeper dive into, so maybe, uh, maybe, the takeaway out of this is how do we ask better questions to determine the discipleship method, the pre-discipleship, the process, the uh, life after accepting Christ and what does that look like? So that's part of some of that um, saying no or trying to create where, what's my capacity of discipleship. And that's going to change and be different for Debbie, you know, where she is, maybe different for uh, Weston where he is or where I am based on, overall number of staffing and things like that. But maybe capacity is a better question in terms of discipleship making too. Greg, I'm totally putting you on the spot, but can you think of an example of a better question? Because that was a powerful comment you just made. Uh, I think the question is one that I asked one last week of a staff person. I said, you know, you've had, you've had this many, Uh, you want to take a risk and you would try something different because you want to be a part of, this disciple making process as we're talking about that here. So you can know you can have 500, but you can have zero show up at this new risk. Did, do you really see a difference in the spiritual maturity that's taking place with zero or 500? Because if there's not, then you're, we're wasting a lot of energy and time and, and event processes with 500 than we are with zero. Yeah. So I, for me, it's kind of like trying to flip and turn some of that a little bit. I don't know if that's the right question or not, but it's just where it's thinking. It, it gets our wheels turning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, bring this plane in for a landing here. I'm gonna ask each of the conversationalists to give us kind of a maybe a one minute reflection or summary or last word of encouragement. And before they they do that, I'm. I'm sure that Dan is going to put up on the screen what our next Tuesday talk is with the next couple. And as you know, we're doing this the last Tuesday of every month, most months of the year, I think 10 months out of the year. And so please do uh, consider joining us. And the, the, the next one that we're talking about in May, I believe, yeah, it's up there now. And that is the, what's the repercussions of the pandemic? We're, we're going to revisit where we are at now, a year and a half into this. And so what are we doing? And then that that one that all of us face at some point is how do we forge a better relationship with our senior minister, our lead pastor, and, and how do we how do we go about doing that? So those are some things that are coming up in the future here. But uh, conversationalists, give us a give us your last minute of of uh, wisdom here or insight we're going to start Weston with you and then move back through Debbie and Roger I honestly want to use this time and affirm Debbie because she hasn't heard this story yet um I and this is practical for you I first met Debbie at one of the uh reach gatherings they used to be called CSRM summit 
And we were, it was just kind of every year we bump into each other. Hey, how are you? You know, and my first real in-depth conversation with her, um, we were talking about fitness and I was sharing just a terrible back injury I had seven years ago. And this was about two years into it. And I was like, I'm a sports pastor who can't, who can't compete with the people I'm called to and it's killing me. And so she prayed for me year later, saw her again. Hey, how's your back? I said, nothing's really changed, <laughs> you know? And so she prayed for me again and I just, I loved her and just, just she remembered that, you know, but here I am seven years later, I'm completely healed pain-free. And so she had no idea about that. And so praise God. Uh, but Debbie, that's, we don't have a strong relationship, but you showed me Jesus. You discipled me in your intentionality. So that, that's my final word. Thank you. And I'm going to put that in my sunshine folder. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I know. That's what um, our director, Adam Dunlap, when he first came on board, he's like, you know, you've got, you've got a sunshine folder. I'm like, what is that? I didn't know what it was. He's like, yeah, on the, your less stellar days when everything's going wrong, you open up the sunshine folder. So Weston, I'm going to put that in my sunshine folder. Awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I just... To me, it's just, it is, it's all about meeting people where they are and listen to their story. Just take, take a minute to care and to be, you know, the hands and the feet of Jesus. Um, it's just about those lasting relationships that we get to build. And I think about, um, you know, we can all look back to different times in our life that brought sorrow or whatever. And, and my high school years were not pleasant years, um, that a lot of rejection, a lot of hurt that literally crippled me for many and many and many years. And just through the process of being discipled and getting to disciple has brought, you know, purpose and meaning to my life. So it's really a twofold thing. It's not just the giving, but it's the receiving, um, with all of that. And, and to me it is, it's just all about our friendships with our people. It's like, our people are the most important thing we do, you know, even though we've got things like Greg shared about, um, you know, the business side of things, there's emails that need to get answered. There's going to be meetings that we're going to have to attend. We're going to plan for what we're going to do. But the most important thing, you know, is, is those people that God brings to us. And, um, and then the only other thing I have to share is, is that don't let the, the discouraging situations or the lack of commitment with someone that you believed was going to come to Christ really bring you down. So um, we had one sweet lady for years and years. We had tons of people praying for her. Um, we believed she was coming to Christ and um, she seemed like she was interested uh, and came to us for many years. We had discipleship going on in personal training sessions in classes and, um, and she never came around. And at some point she cut off all um, relationships that were of Christ. And I have no idea where she is today. Um, and I don't even think it would be okay for me to reach out to her just based on conversations she's had with other people. Um, just because, you know, she doesn't like us Bible beaten people, you know, and it's like, okay, that's really not what it's about other than trying to sow truth into someone and help them to lead them in the right direction. So Anyway, but the good part about it is, is we, I don't have to get discouraged by that, but I can just be reminded to pray and allow God to bring who he's going to bring and be faithful at what he's called us to do and, and um, multiply ourselves. And so 
Is that it, Debbie? That's it. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to step on you. Um, I, I think the last thing, and Matt, uh, I, I'm looking at you as probably one of the earlier on sports ministers. I think if we're asking the question, um, how do we disciple? We, we might be identifying a problem, but we're not doing that. And if you know there's a problem, then I think the most important thing you can do before you start a program is to sit down and discover some solutions. And I think the solutions come out of the fact when you have a clear understanding of what your ministry is, where it's going to go, how it accomplishes what God's called you to do. And that really speaks of some organizational or administrative skills that you need to develop. But having done that, yeah. I'll echo what Debbie said, and that is your job as a sports minister is to create programs whereby people encounter Christ. And having encountered Christ, they then begin to walk with Christ. And walking with Christ means they're integrated into the local church. And that whole process, Matt, does not depend on you. You bring the program and the gospel to them, and you bring a plan of discipleship to them. But it's it's on God at that point. I mean, I don't want to go Calvinistic on you now, but <laughs> salvation is in the hands of the Lord, not my sports ministry. I just need to be faithful to create a program where people can meet that Christ and grow in him. Well, we've been... Uh... We've been receiving a lot on this call. I know I have, and I, I, I think that's shared around the, our digital room here that we're in. And I, I would say that I would encourage all of us on this and all who might watch or listen to this in the future in an archival way, that to pick up from what, what I just heard from Roger, if, if we really don't have a discipleship plan in line, we probably are not going to disciple people. And we we have an evangelistic line. We, we, we're going to, after a particular game or after a particular season, we're going to say, okay, raise your hand if you want to believe in Jesus. And we know how to get people there to have those in, in evangelistic environments where we talk about it and have people pray that prayer. But What's the next step? And do we actually have that next step in mind? Do all of our coaches and leaders know the next step is this, 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 and this? And it would include the things we've talked about, baptism, Bible study, church attendance. It moves into that fourth B of behavior and that we've got to really think about it. So I encourage everyone to think about what the plan is. Well. We've gone over a little bit, but we're okay, aren't we? And Greg or Dan, anything before we uh, wrap this one up? I don't uh, think so. Uh, this will be released next Wednesday uh, via CSRM social channels. So don't be afraid to check that out and share uh, with people within your network. Um, you know, as Greg mentioned, you know, not a lot joined us live here, but people are watching this via archive. And uh, it certainly is something that uh, this topic in particular, we know is very important. So feel free to pass this along, uh, share it uh, when that comes out next Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us too. 
Tuesday Talks are a production of CSRM and their video production house, Overwhelming Victory Flicks. Dr. Greg Linville is our executive producer, and Andrew Fouts is the associate producer. To find out more about Tuesday Talks or to join our next discussion live, visit overwhelmingvictory.org backslash Tuesday Talks. To find out more about Cool Spring Baptist Church, visit coolspring.org. And to learn more about CSRM, visit csrm.org.